0: Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Adam London, director of the Kent County Health Department. We're getting a lot of questions about antibody testing, about the significance of COVID-19 the big picture, about whether or not it's safe to go to the emergency department if you're having signs of a heart attack or, or other emergency uh, symptoms. I'm joined today by a very special guest, Dr. Andrew Jamieson. Jamieson is the Division Chief of Infectious Diseases and Medical Director of Infection Control at Mercy Health St. Mary's here in Grand Rapids. Dr. Jameson, thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. And so we've been in this pandemic now for a couple months and fortunately our total case count and our mortality numbers here in Kent County are fairly low. Yeah. Um, people are at a point now where they're wondering, was this, is this really a big deal or not? What are your thoughts? Is COVID-19, is it a big deal?
1: I think it really is. I mean, we've seen this kind of disease and this pandemic affect us at home, at work, um, as a healthcare organization, as healthcare institutions individually in an unprecedented way. So it still is a really big deal. We've been very, very lucky in West Michigan because we got a lead time. Uh, that other people did not get for the infection. We could see it coming. And so when we had the opportunity to shut down and bunker and stay home, stay safe, that impact was pretty immense in West Michigan. And you did not see that big surge happening that other people did. You didn't see that big peak that everyone was predicting. And that has probably created a little bit of a sense of false security, frankly. Uh, because what that means is that we are doing everything right and we're still seeing the hospitals with a lot of COVID-positive patients. Uh, we are still seeing people that are very sick from this. Now, does that mean that we are not in a position to uh, try to open up safely, try to bring some normalcy back? It does not, but it means that we have to be aware of the limitations and in, in what might happen when we do that. And that's really what we're doing at Mercy L. St. Mary's, is making that pivot moving away from the emergency and figuring out how we're gonna live with this to keep everyone safe. Does mm. it concern you when, when
0: you see uh, pictures of either uh, protesters protesters or, or others going back into the community uh, and, and doing so in a way that seems to suggest that, uh, that they don't think this is a big deal? Uh, is that a concern? And as we reopen the economy, while it's essential that we do that, uh, do you fear that people aren't going to take these precautions seriously moving forward?
1: Yeah, I absolutely do. You know, it's, it's twofold. You look at people that are protesting, and they're protesting for a reason, because it's impacting their lives such so dramatically. They are getting impacted financially and emotionally, and their families are being torn apart by this. And so you feel for them, and you understand it. But I also am in a scenario where I walk through my ICU, and I see young people who were previously healthy that have been on a ventilator for 14 days, and they're fighting for their lives. And, you know, we are seeing a scenario where people are getting exceedingly ill from this. In Kent County and in Mercy Hill-St. Mary's, we're lucky because we have not had that overwhelmed healthcare system. So all the systems in West Michigan have been performing very, very well, and our mortality numbers are very low. But that's also because we are in a great position from testing. We are doing a good job of testing. We're testing more people than anybody else in the state per capita. And so what that does is that makes our numbers look better than other places, but it's only because we're in a a situation where we've been proactive. If we stop being proactive or we stop planning ahead and don't take this seriously enough, we will be in the same situation other countries and other counties and other states have found themselves. Yeah, I've been saying for a while now that uh, it's,
0: um, I'm really impressed with the way that people in West Michigan have responded to this crisis and our medical institutions have responded to this crisis. Um, I think that the reason we have seen these lower numbers has been because of the great work that people here in West Michigan have done. Uh, and I hope that they maintain that discipline going forward as we uh, re-enter the economy and as we start to get a little uh, more courageous in the things that we're doing, uh, we need to also be very careful that we don't uh, unnecessarily in- endanger ourselves or others.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, there's been a lot of a foc- there's been focus in the national media lately about how reopening will come with a cost. So there's a financial cost right now of being shut down, but reopening will come with a cost, and that unfortunately is going to be people getting sick and people's lives being threatened. And that's just going to be a reality because we know that this virus is very infectious. We know that it spreads easily. And we are learning more and more about the symptoms, about how you start spreading before you start developing symptoms sometimes. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of nuance here that we've seen with no other disease. And so what I would say to people is um, uh, work together as a community. Recognize that the more we hand wash, the more we mask, the more we help keep the community safe, the lower the impact on the economy there will be long term because it'll allow us to open up. If people go buck wild and start just pretending like we are back in February with no concerns whatsoever, we will get a secondary spike and we might overwhelm the system. We won't see as good a numbers for, for care in the hospitals and we'll be shutting down again. So it's not going to be life as normal for a long time, but we can bring life back. So I think that's, that's the difference there. Yeah, and I think that's the important key there, is that to do that
0: and to do it effectively for this long period of time until we get the vaccine, yep. uh, we need people to do the things that we know are best practices, in making it difficult for this virus to spread person to person.
1: Yeah, and, and I think a very simple way to, to, to think about this is that if we are able to prevent transmission a little bit, what'll happen is if I'm wearing a mask, I will help prevent me transmitting to multiple people. And if we get testing going, then what that will do is allow us to catch those people really early and we can effectively shut down a little bubble of infection so that one person doesn't infect three, who doesn't infect nine, who doesn't infect 27. Like that's the goal. And so if you can actually shut down that transmission right at the family level or at the close personal circle level, uh, then you can actually make a difference and prevent it from shutting down the economy again. If we go into a scenario where we have big groups and you have one person that can infect 20 in one sitting, then you'll have that go out in a big wave and then you'll get overwhelmed. That's what happened everywhere else in the country. And so we just have to do this together and have to be smart, understanding that nothing's fun, nothing's easy, but if we do it in a smart, limited way and slowly ramp up, then we can actually start pulling back or changing or, you know put down a hot spot or, you know, it'll give you as the health department a chance to actually stay on top of this. If we completely go backwards, then we're gonna be in for a long road. Yeah, great point. And testing
0: is gonna be so key to interrupting those small clusters before Absolutely. they become large outbreaks. Absolutely. Speaking of testing, let's talk about antibody testing for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's been in the news a lot in the past month or so. Uh, we get a lot of questions about here at the health department. People would like to do antibody testing they would like to find out if they have an immune response to this virus uh, and, and if they have protection. Uh, can you tell us what your thoughts are on, on antibody testing and how, how, how reasonable of a thing that is right now?
1: Yeah, so antibody testing, I think we were hoping was gonna be basically a ticket to open up the economy again and, and come back as a, in a safe situation. I don't think it's gonna be that, but I think there's gonna be a role. So to give your listeners a little bit of a perspective, antibody testing is basically just measuring your body's immune response to some kind of infection. So we can test antibodies to almost any disease out there, and we can say, has your body ever seen this before? The problem problem with coronavirus is that our antibody tests that we have right now also find and recognize those antibodies from other coronaviruses that we know have been in the community for a while, that have just been causing some colds. And so uh, the positive test from that really doesn't always guarantee that you actually were exposed to COVID-19 and therefore you're immune. And frankly, we have no specific data yet saying that if you have those antibody responses, what level gives immunity? So where that's, what that means is that as a decision maker, I can't look at my hospital employees and say, if you have this antibody level, you're now safe to come back to work. You can't get infected and you can't infect anyone else. We're not going to be able to do that. Is there going to be a role for it? I think so. Is there going to be a role for a doctor to a patient? I think so. But I think right now it's going to give a better idea to people like yourself who can get a, uh, the antibodies of a big population to say, what do we think is about the normal rate of infection in this community? And then we can see if our tests are picking up that normal rate. And so it's going to be more helpful from an epidemiologic standpoint and a population standpoint before it actually impacts individual patients for a while.
0: Uh, so we've seen images on the news of a, a, a finger prick type blood yeah. test and yeah. and I think some people are seeing that and they're seeing it used in other communities uh, and are concluding that, well they're doing it over there, why don't we do it here and find out just what what kind of uh, immune response people have and the immunity that they have to at this. Uh, wh- what's the challenge with these simple finger prick
1: blood yeah. tests? So some of those is the reliability of them. Um, You may get the same finger prick multiple times and get a different antibody response from yourself multiple times because it's just not reliable. Uh, Some are better than others. But one of these things that we're dealing with right now is because everything got moved so fast out of an emergency kind of situation that we've not gone through the same product reliability testing that we've expected other places we're finding that some of the tests that have come through um, from overseas are just not performing well some of the tests that are more a blood draw seem to be more reliable than just the finger pricks uh, in some of the kits that have been available but we're really dealing in a world where we don't know enough to say you tested positive therefore this means you can blank we don't know what that is Mm -hmm. so right now being using that as a as a as a basically a ticket to get back into normal is not going to be the case.
0: So is it fair to say that the science is sound, but the technology is lacking?
1: Yes. uh, I I think that's, that's, that's pretty close. We know that we have antibody testing for so many other diseases. So we know that the science is able to do that. Now, if we're able to really focus in on something in COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 that is unique to itself, and we can d- develop an antibody to that specific thing, that would make it more useful so that we don't get that cross-reactivity where if you get test positive right now, that only means you have a 50 to 80% chance that you actually were exposed to COVID-19. So the positive test is not really an uh, answer right now. Okay. Uh, can you talk a little bit about antibody testing how it relates to the convalescent plasma? therapies that have been uh, in the news. So the convalescent plasma therapies are all experimental. The only things that are being done right now is in a trial setting. Um, But there is some very big promise. What that is, is that is taking patients that we knew had COVID-19 and then based on that knowledge, they had it. We are able to detect their antibodies, take all those antibodies out of them and actually use those proteins and and antibodies and give them to other people so then we use those to fight off the infection of people that are most sick so uh, numerous organizations across west michigan and across uh, the state are doing this and they're using it basically to use someone else's immune response to treat someone who's severely ill so our, health, our local blood bank, bank, or local blood bank in uh, West Michigan, uh, Versity, is doing uh, antibody testing for that. And they are accepting donations from people so that they can be a therapy for, for patients that are most severely ill. Uh, in terms of how we're using that, it's really using uh, a ability for an antibody from someone else to mark a virus so that your body kills it when you're infected.
0: It's fascinating. It's very cool. In some ways, that seems like it's a new therapy. But actually, they used that, as I recall, during the 1918 influenza. Mm. Uh, outbreak as well. And they that we used it at previous times, is, is that
1: correct? That that would not be a surprise to me. I don't know about that, but I think that I've heard something about that. We actually use it regularly with other diseases, too, infectious disease. Mm-hmm. So we use um, like uh, cytomegalovirus specific antibodies to treat diseases and transplant patients. We've been doing this technology for a long time. Uh, so it's not new to this, uh, but, um, but wh- how it actually is going to be used, we're trying to figure that out.
0: It's quite interesting. That's amazing. You know, as we've been faced with this new pandemic that is, is novel to us, uh, that we have relied on some of these old tools, quarantine and isolation, oh. uh, you know, and some of the other medical uh, technologies that have been with us for a long time. As we hope, new technologies are developed. And, I, and I, I think there's probably never been a time in all of human history where we've had so many scientists working to solve one problem like we're we seeing right now.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And it's really cool just to see the the evolution in just two months of what we can do from testing and what we can do from a, uh, from a um, care standpoint. like Where we can do to take care of someone now is so different from what it was just two months ago. And we have so many tools at our disposal. So it's great.
0: So you're the chief of infectious control
1: uh, at uh,
0: St. Mary's Hospital. And that's a large place of employment. It's a large institution. Right now we have lots of business owners, large, small, medium-sized, that are all trying to think of a game plan for reopening and doing it in as low-risk of a way as possible for their employees and for their customers. Uh, As someone who has that responsibility at St. Mary's, uh, what kind of advice would you be giving these employers as they're thinking about reopening?
1: Yeah, so I think there's kind of a twofold thing. There's high level, and then there's kind of the low level easy stuff. So coming from a low level easy stuff, what that means is limiting the number of people that are in an enclosed space. So try to have you know small rooms you don't have very many people in there. Maybe you even have like signage that says, limit of four people in this room at a time, have paces marked outside the room in terms of if people have to wait. You have extra access to hand washing. You put extra focus on cleaning and disinfection. So you have someone that may walk through and do all the doorknobs, all the light switches, all the high touch surfaces multiple times a day to help keep people safe. Uh, you do a really good job of making sure that you check symptoms and you have no punishment for people that might have symptoms and need to be out of work that day. So you put a system in place so that there is no repercussions for people to try to keep other people safe. And so, for example, at Mercy L St. Mary's, what we do is we have a colleague health hotline. So they know that if they screen positive for any of these symptoms at the door, they can step out, they can call that number, and then they can get care and... Uh, can get removed from work that day without any repercussions to their job. And so we put it in a place so that we can make sure that we keep people safe and we also give them a way that they don't have to be at work and threaten other people. So that is something that employers can do easy. And then there's the high-level stuff, which is, you know, how do we make sure we test our workforce? What does that look like? How do we do that? How do we make sure that we are uh, securing our workforce for the future? How do we do big picture spacing? What kind of jobs do we take on? What kind of places do we put our colleagues and employees into? That's much more nuanced and really it should be probably be done with you know, some help of a consultant or some bigger kind of uh, guidance. But there's tons of easy things that can be done.
0: A lot of creativity, uh, a lot of different strategies, both at a policy level. Uh, an actual physical space and behavior uh, that we need to work on in in the workplace. I think though that over the past couple of months, uh, we have all uh, learned some new skills in social distancing and and mask use and uh, we've changed our behaviors with uh, no handshaking and with better hand washing. We're really gonna need to see these things, at the very least,
1: Continue, employee health screenings Absolutely. are gonna be key strategy. Absolutely, and masking and hand washing cannot be overstated. So uh, we know that if, that if I am someone that has COVID virus and I'm early in my symptoms, that me wearing a mask will do a much better job of protecting everyone around me than almost anything else. So that is actually one of the things that is keys about masking. You actually mask the source of infection. I'm not wearing a mask necessarily to prevent me from getting it. I'm wearing a mask to prevent me from giving to other people. And the more we learn about COVID, we realize that there's a multitude of ways that this presents and a multitude of ways that people kind of develop symptoms, and they're hard to pick out. You know, sometimes it's just body aches. Sometimes it's chills. Sometimes it's, you know, a sore throat. Sometimes it's loss of smell. These subtle things you know, they take a couple days to develop, and those couple days could be times when you're transmitting. And so if you wear a mask and you wash your hands, you're protecting everyone else. And I think that's the, that is the big thing that people that are so frustrated and are fighting some of these restrictions and, and are protesting really don't realize is that, you know, we're asking them to take part in something to protect someone else's grandmother someone else's you know, loved one with you know, a bad immune system, someone with heart disease. We're asking them to take a little bit of a sacrifice and inconvenience to protect others. And those protections that, that we are allowing the healthcare systems to actually take care of people at the best of their ability, because if they get overwhelmed, that's when care goes down.
0: And it's really a collective
1: action oh, uh, on really all of is. our
0: parts to reduce the risk, even if it's a little bit. Yep. And, and that's something we get a lot of challenge uh, about the masks and uh do they really work are they effective uh and i think the answer is uh yeah but they're not perfect they're, they're far from perfect there's lots of weaknesses and limitations to masks uh, and we can't think that they are the the silver bullet or a, or a shield that is impermeable by any stretch uh, but th- collectively when we when we all follow or the majority of us follow uh, these behaviors those who can and some can't wear masks yep. and we certainly want don't want infants or those who have chronic breathing issues uh, to try to wear masks but when most of us follow those behaviors we can reduce the risk a little bit of community transmission.
1: Oh and I think it's more than a little bit I think it's pretty I think it's pretty significant one of the things we faced in in the United States is a little bit of a stigma for for masks for some reason that when people wear a mask we kind of look at them and say well what's wrong with them or we we make it a a little bit of a, a characterization of why are they wearing a mask and we have to switch that to saying like they're wearing a mask to keep me safe thank you. (laughs) <laughs> like, that's, that's the pivot. Like, thank you for wearing a mask to keep me safe. That's the difference now. Very early on, you know, we had, we had, you know, our Surgeon General saying, don't wear a mask, everyone. Like, some of these things. And that made things a little bit harder for us now. But that was, the reason why that was happening is so that we could make sure that we had enough equipment in the hospitals for the people that were at highest risk at that time. As we've gotten farther in, as we know this is going to be the long haul, it's really pivoted to saying, we have the infrastructure now, we have the manufacturing, we have more access, we have availability. Now it's everyone needs to be doing it because we can. And, uh, and it needs to be you looking at the person across from you saying, thank you for wearing masks because you're helping keep my loved one safe. It's a big deal. Yeah. And
0: we've learned a lot of skills. In fact, uh, even with the masks themselves, we've so many people have made masks yeah. and have donated them uh, to the Salvation Army and to the hospitals and so oh, many other places absolutely. and to here at the health department. Uh, it, it's been really touching to see uh, and it's really empowered us to help give back to others who might not have
1: access to masks otherwise. Absolutely. Our industry has actually stepped up in West Michigan big time so uh, we've had lots of employers that have shifted their focus and they've made a little bit of uh, uh you know sanitizer they have made some masks you know i saw my chief medical officer today wearing a mask from steel case it's great i mean these we are in a good situation from in west michigan with uh with people that have just stepped up big time and i think that the problem is success is measured by lack of disaster <laughs> you know so we can't really point to something to say like Good job, guys. Nothing happened. But that's kind of where we're at, that we didn't have the mortality rate that other people did. That's success, and it's because of what we did that's why that happened. So people have to understand that, that the measurement of success in this arena is a disaster averted, and they have to view that as, as something that they contributed to.
0: Yeah, we we've always been uh, victims of our own success in public health and in prevention. And, and I think that right now we're seeing some of that. Yeah. We just need to counter uh, uh, balance this this impression now that people have that it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Folks, it wasn't it hasn't been and I, I don't even like to call it not a big deal, but to the extent that it hasn't been a big deal here in West Michigan, it hasn't been a big deal because people have have changed their behaviors and they've worn the masks and social distancing Absolutely and, true. and and, and but to be clear, it is a big deal, it's a and, and it big has deal. been a big deal, and it could be a, could have been, and could be a lot worse.
1: I mean, the the impact that this has made to our healthcare systems is cannot be overstated. It cannot be overstated. It is it has both made some places extremely busy and extremely scary places to work sometimes because you're dealing with a very uh, significant illness and people that are infectious. But also we've had other people that have had to pull back work and are not getting hours because their areas have been shut down completely. And so it is a very uh, impactful disease and uh, the community has a role in that and and they can really help uh, keep us safe. And it's not a virus that's going away anytime soon. It's gonna be with us. We still
0: have a very susceptible population and, uh, and so we all need to hang together for the foreseeable future until we have uh, better therapies, and then ultimately vaccine that's Exa- effective.
1: You're exactly right. You know, even in some of the places in the country that are hardest hit, they think that maybe somewhere between, you know, 12 and 17% of the population was infected total. And what that means is that you have 82 to, to you so know, long ways away th- from her immunity. exactly, it really is. So there's so many people that are still at risk. And, and so we just are in a situation where even with how bad it's been, the risk is still there. And we have to do a good job sticking together saying, how do we pull back and kind of open up a little bit? How do we make places like salons safe again? Because I think you know uh, we're going to be in a situation where we have to get back to that because you know, just from a quality of life, just from an economic standpoint, it's going to have to happen. And we have to learn how to do that. For example, in that scenario, we have a clinic where we take care of COVID positive patients or people that are at risk of COVID. What we do for them is they pull up stay in their car and then call us to let us know they're there and we send someone to them that then are brought in there's no waiting room there's no scenario where you have a bunch of people sitting we get them in and we get them out we don't have them kind of loiter stay around that's to keep them safe and other people safe a similar situation could happen with a lot of our other kind of industries i could see a scenario where you don't sit in a waiting room to get your hair done you sit in your car you get a call when you're ready you go in there you're masked they're masked and you are in a better situation. You know, I think there was actually a nice article in the BBC yesterday about how Germany is opening up the hair industry again. You know, so there are opportunities, but we have to take every industry and be smart about it so that we get people back to work, open up the economy, and keep them safe. If we just open up the gates, we're gonna be shutting back down because we're overwhelmed.
0: need to be very creative. Very It'd creative. Be very cautious and, and careful and mindful of the science. and. Uh, and to the extent possible, empower these industries with this information so they can think creatively about their own flows of work exactly. and how to serve their, uh, their clients. Um, you know, unfortunately, the rest of uh, the, the leading causes of mortality don't just go away mm. because we're busy with COVID-19. So uh, heart disease and cancer and stroke and so many other uh, causes of death and, and morbidity uh, continue to, to plague our community. Uh, we have heard that, uh, that some people you know, may be scared if they're having chest pains or signs of stroke or, or anything else that maybe normally that they would go to the emergency department for, that there might be some, some concern out of fear that I don't want to go to the hospital. Uh, there's a lot of coronavirus there. I, I don't want to put myself in, in that kind of danger. And so they, they, they waste precious moments before they, they go to the hospital. What would you tell people who maybe have these concerns about uh, the safety of our hospitals right now.
1: Yeah, you know, it is, it is a scary time. And I think, um, you know, I think that what we've been doing at Mercy St. Mary's is making that pivot from disaster planning to planning for how do we take care of our population again. And we've been doing that for actually the last month and we've been preparing. And so what that means is that when you come into the emergency room and you are gonna be admitted to the hospital, everyone gets a coronavirus test so that we have very clear cut designated Corona care units and uh, units that are not caring for coronavirus. So when you come in and you have a surgery, you know that you're not going to be going to an area that has coronavirus care taking place. And so that makes it A safer place for people and more reassuring place. We're also screening all surgeries so that before surgery we know that you're going to be in a situation where you're safe to get surgery done because we don't want people that are infected also having a procedure they didn't need right then. But it is essential that if you are having symptoms that are unusual, you're having chest pain, you're having you know, fevers or weight loss and things like this, reach out to your doctor. Every healthcare institution in West Michigan has set up a system where they can triage those, where they can do video visits, where they can do telemedicine, where we can put people into clinics people with fevers we can have put people in clinics for people without fevers we have that set up at st mary's so engaging with your health system again is incredibly important knowing that coming into the hospital uh, we are going to make sure we keep people safe and separated and into these areas where they can feel reassured that screening is taking place and that we're not getting patients with coronavirus there And that being said, it's also extremely important to be able to have zones and units that are taking care of coronavirus and doing it in a specialized way. For example, our two units that we were doing that, we have the entire floors as negative pressure. And so what that means is all of the air is getting sucked out and put through filters rather than going out into the whole like uh, hallway into other units. And so I really want to keep my employees safe by having everyone with coronavirus on those kind of units, because that's where I know that I can have all the protection the best, all the, the systems the best, the, health, the infrastructure for the building the best. And so by us testing and screening widely and keeping our population safe, keeping our employees safe, we can also keep patients safe too. So engage in healthcare; It's a big deal. So I'm having chest pains. Call 911. Absolutely. Get help right away. Absolutely. So uh, you will be brought in and you will be treated well, triaged well, you will be screened and you will be put onto an appropriate unit because the thing to know is that there are some times when coronavirus is actually causing some of these diseases too. So we want to be in a situation where we're treating people appropriately and well and treating them very, very well. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what we've done at St. Mary's, and I would not hesitate for my family to get care there. Dr. Andrew Jamieson,
0: thank you so much for having this conversation with Absolutely. us. And thank you so much for all that you uh, and Mercy Health St. Mary's are doing in this community. Uh, it makes a tremendous uh, impact in a positive way. Uh, and we appreciate your time so much this morning. And we thank all of you uh, for watching uh, this video today and we encourage you to like and share our Facebook page and share this video with others. It's really important that we provide uh, the the best, most transparent information uh, on a regular basis to you from experts in our community like Dr. Jameson. Thank you for watching. I'm Dr. Adam London with the Kent County Health Department. Have a great day.